Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Navy Federal. Navy Federal has a mission to put members first by making their financial goals the priority. Receive a lifetime of membership benefits to help you and your family accomplish your life's missions, like a full suite of financial products designed to fit your needs, 24-7 live support, and access to over 300 branches on or near military bases. Visit NavyFederal.org for more information. Call one 842 6328 or download the Navy Federal Credit Union app. Message and data rates apply. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show, The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon. Joining me as he does every Tuesday from the ringer.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Concert, a.k.a. Kevin O'Climber, a.k.a. Kevin O'Timing. Kevin! <laughs> What's going on, Chris, this morning? How are you? Of all the days for you to put out your Clay Thompson opus, which I know you did the interview uh, several weeks ago, and so you've been working on this article for a long time, and you have to write in the beginning of the article something to the effect of, hey, no one expected, basically, by the time this article was going to be printed, that Clay Thompson would be shooting 13% from three, but here we are. And then you kind of <laughs> go on through how Clay Thompson does what he does. Never in your wildest dreams could you have imagined it would have been on total full display last night and it just so happens the day the ringer posts your article about the greatness of clay thompson he breaks the all-time record for three-pointers in a game you're living right kevin you're living yeah, right uh, the universe works in mysterious ways chris <laughs> <laughs> all right first things first you got an opportunity to sit down with him and you wanted to pick his brain and i found it interesting that you included in the insight that you know, when you get to him, he's after practice. A lot of times these guys just want to go do their routine. The last thing they want to do is sit down with a reporter. And then you had the opportunity. I, I think what, what you said within the article is you got the chance to talk basketball with him. And that's when he lit up. Definitely. You know, like sitting down with Clay, obviously right after a workout, the last thing you want to do is talk to another person. Um, but like I pulled out my laptop and we just started talking basketball and, and then he lit up and it was great. It's cool how that happened yesterday, Chris. Right. Um, because there was the talk about how, oh, you know, what's wrong with Clay Thompson shot? What's wrong? Nothing's wrong. Right. He was just in a little mini slump at the start of the season. That's all. What did you leave out of the article? Pretty much. Mostly everything got in there. I would say there was good Steve Kerr quote. That we ended up leaving out. Just Steve basically said how Clay is at his knowledge of the game is deeper than it's ever been right now. Like his understanding of the game, his understanding of his teammates, of angles, and all every little thing is at the highest level it's been right now. That that was probably the, the number one thing that comes to mind that we left out. But for the most part, I, I everything really got in there. Yeah. It's kind of the sneaky thing about him, right? Because sometimes he could come off as aloof or goofy, but everybody you talk to say the guy is super smart. Like he's they joke with him about being an old man because his routine is he has a newspaper, like a legit news. He, he is keeping the newspaper industry alive, uh, Clay Thompson, by reading it every day. And he's like, you know, uh, I remember reading somewhere that he's like elite at chess. You don't find a lot of dummies that are great at chess, but that the guy is he's super right? shots fired. He, he, no, I mean, I he's super he's super smart guy. I don't think he comes off 
necessarily always as a guy you would think was uber cerebral, but in fact, everybody that's around him says you have no idea how smart this guy is and how much he works at it and attempts to learn and that there is a method. And that's kind of what you want to chronicle, right? There's a method to this. The reason he gets these shots and the reason he is so good at it is because he studies it. This is not just by chance or I think a lot of people take away from his greatness by saying, yeah, well, he gets to play with Steph Curry and now obviously with Kevin Durant. For sure. You know, I mean, I think with Clay, everybody acknowledges how great of a player he is. And I think with this, I just wanted to, you know, touch on what it actually is that makes him great. Right. Like I think uh, ESPN stats and info tweeted out this morning, a second spectrum stat that Clay Thompson's 52 points were only on 52 touches. And he dribbled the ball only 56 times and had the ball in his hands only 96 seconds. Like, that's insane. Like, there's so few players that can do that. Like, not every player that's a great scorer needs to dominate the ball. He's a guy who can dominate a game without even really touching the ball all game. And that's the perfect compliment on a great team, Um, whether it's the Warriors or any other team in basketball history. A guy who can compliment other star players like that is very unique or rather very unusual. Clay Thompson is. Uh, I think though the little things about his game is more than just you know running around. It's the reading the floor. It's the little hand movements, the little pushes. It was actually really fun just watching the video of him running around through screens, uh, just seeing the little things that he does, the little pivots, the little moves. It's fun. Yeah, and I like when he pulls stuff like this off because we have seen it virtually every year. He had thirty-seven and a quarter, thirty-seven in a quarter. When you think about that, I mean that's. <laughs> they only played 12 minutes in 37 and a quarter versus the Kings where he was 13 for 13 to hit nine threes. He had the one game in 2016 where he had 60 points in 29 minutes. He had another game where he hit 27 points in a quarter against the Grizzlies and had 23 straight points at one point. Like he is, he's the all time heat check guy. I mean, within a quarter, within a number of minutes, within a game, he holds damn near every record for ridiculous amount of points in a short span of time (laughs) with a short amount of dribbles. And you kind of feel like, I mean, when Durant went there, I actually was talking to somebody about this last week because I was saying, I'm glad Curry's going off because it might've hurt Curry a little bit in terms of whatever all-time legacy is, right? We acknowledge that Durant in the minds of some people, possibly many people, the perception of him has gone down. His greatness has gone down simply because he joined an amazing team. Well, then when Curry does it and Durant wins these finals MVPs, it's like, well, wait, Steph Curry was the best player on a team that won 73 games and he won the MVP and he won the title with that being happened. And then that kind of gets forgotten All the meanwhile, Clay Thompson was his running buddy and the second fiddle, and now he's kind of the third guy. And so it's almost as if Clay Thompson's greatness is going to take a hit, you know, the farther down the pecking order you get on that team. And then he does something like this to remind you, like, dude, if he was on any other team, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, do you think Thompson benefits greatly from being on that team? I mean, they obviously set tons of great screens for him and they get him the ball, right? If Clay Thompson is off on his own, let's just say he left. Nobody in the free world thinks he's going to leave. If Clay Thompson left, 
for next year. Do you think we look up and he's top 10 scorer in the league playing for whatever random team? I don't know. Uh, I mean, like Ray Allen. I've had a very difficult time with this. If he's a Harden type, right? Like, what if James Harden would have no, always I mean, stayed with Oklahoma City? I mean, he's not a Harden type. Like, Harden, you know, with the ball handling ability, he's definitely not going to be that type. But I think you'd see more scoring. Like, Ray Allen in his prime was a 25, 26 point per game scorer in, in right. his latter years with the Supersonics. And in, in earlier in his career with the Milwaukee Bucks was like a 23, 24 point per game guy. You know, and then with Boston, Ray Allen took on that kind of third role, the floor spacing role, the guy who runs around the screens, kind of, you know, similar-ish. It's a different era, of course, but similar right. to the role we see um, with Clay now. So I do think Clay can absolutely, he's capable of more. No doubt about it. If you get him more on-ball opportunities, he's improved at handling the ball. He's improved at one, two dribble pull-ups with a hand in his face. You know, he can still drain a three under pressure. I don't think there's a question about that with his game, Chris. It really depends on your expectations. If you want to be a 30-point-per-game scorer, I don't know if you're going to get that. So in that sense, he benefits. But really, it's just it's a two-way street, man. Like His skill set is perfect for the role. You know what it goes back to, right? I'm having deja vu. It goes back to our Ginobili discussion. And it was like, yeah, well, he played like 25 minutes a game, and he was one of three guys. It was all of them together as a unit that made all that great but did his greatness take a little bit of a hit in terms of perception and so. obviously points per game and everything because he was playing within that system or maybe that was the show i did with gons it might have been with uh, john gonzalez that we talked about this because it's like when i hope history remembers ginobili more fonder than his stats indicate that's all i'd say well that's why you know, you can't just look at numbers, right? right. You, you need right. to consider situations, circumstances, and everything else that goes with it. With with Ginobili, if anybody's just looking at their numbers, they're looking at the wrong thing, right? Same with Clay Thompson. If 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 when Clay's career is over, his numbers are what they are right now: nineteen points per game, three rebounds, two assists. And if people just look at that and be like, "Oh, he was a great shooter," but that's all. It's like, no, that's not what he was. He, he was a he was one of the greatest shooters ever. First of all who also improved over the course of his career at the little things like passing. He improved at shooting off the dribble. He improved in, and he mastered shooting, right? He came in a great shooter, and he became a all-timer, right? He didn't come in an all-time shooter. Uh, he improved over the years. Because when you consider, like, think about where Golden State started, right? You know, when Clay came in the 2011 season, the the type of defenses they're facing and the amount of attention that's being paid to him has changed over the course of time. Like he's needed to improve over time because of how defenses have continued to funnel attention towards him. It's um to me like Clay never becoming complacent and continuing to improve has been fun to watch over the years. And like then not only that, but like with Ginobili and with Thompson, just the level of sacrifice, right? Yes. Uh, to to think about the greater good for the team, I think with those guys, that's a testament to their greatness more than anything else. Like we've seen other players come through that are, you know, Carmelo Anthony unwilling to come off the bench. To me, with Ginobili and Thompson and any other guy, you know, we're not even mentioning, willing to sacrifice for the greater good to me is, I think that's a sign of true greatness. Oh, for sure. And well, listen, and in the end, he's going to have the championship rings to go along with his career, much like Ginobili will, right? You can always do this. You can always say like, hey, if James Harden would have stayed or if Manu Ginobili would have left in free agency and he would have been the man on another team or Clay Thompson would have gone and been the man on another team, how much different would it be? You talked about how defenses have changed. I was reading up on kind of the history of Clay Thompson as he achieved that last night. 
and one of the th- one of the notes that I had jotted down was in 2012-13, which was his second season. There was a note that said Warriors coach Mark Jackson said that Thompson and Stephen Curry formed the best shooting duo in NBA history. Now, think about this. This is Mark Jackson that was saying this. He said that season, the two combined for 483 three-pointers, the most ever by an NBA duo. That was in 2012-13. I think they already have 483 this season. (laughs) It feels like they've already had 483 this season. But even at that point, by Clay's second year in the league, him and Curry set the record for most three-pointers by a duo, and it was 483. I mean, like, no lie. Curry, going into last night, was like on pace for 400 or more (laughs) himself, by himself. And the scary thing about like Clay's accomplishments is summed up by this Steve Kerr quote. Listen to this, Kev. This is last night, him talking about the game. Quote, I didn't even realize what was happening until they called a timeout. He made a couple in the second half, and I heard Clay say, two more, two more. And that's when I realized I didn't even know who had the record. So I turned to Steph and asked him, do you have the record? And he said, yeah, I've got it. <laughs> I mean, that is embarrassing when the coach can look to his own bench and say, do you have the record? <laughs> and the guy's like, yeah, it's actually, it's actually my record. That is amazing. What? Come on, man. That is amazing. And meanwhile, Curry and Durant, you know, have a chance to average 30 points a game. No teammates have done that since 61, 62. And that was like Jerry West and Elgin Baylor. Something else came to mind, Chris, you know, yeah. when you were telling the story about Mark Jackson, right? One thing I didn't mention earlier when you asked what didn't get into the story, because it just kind of slipped my mind, to be honest with you, but I'm kind of glad I didn't mention it earlier. It's be- it fits better now. But like with Mark Jackson, I tracked basically the the distribution of his shots off screens that were threes compared to twos. And over the Mark Jackson era, a quarter of his shots off screens were three-pointer attempts. And then under Steve Kerr, over the years, it's been 45% of his shots, so close to wow. half. So almost doubled, and you know, I asked Steve Kerr about this, and he pretty much said he, he contributes that to you know that's the nature of the game now. The game's changed. However, in the year he took over as coach, it jumped up ten percent from thirty percent to forty percent, um, and then fifty percent the following year. I think Steve Kerr as well deserves a lot of credit for obviously this has been discussed before, but for elevating the Curry Thompson backcourt when he took over with the creative actions that he's installed over the years, he really did elevate those guys on that team, especially Clay Thompson with the off screen usage. A lot of twos turned those into a lot of threes. Obviously I'm seeing everybody talk about this last night. I've got league pass. So I flipped it on. I mean, it was, it was honestly like embarrassing in the second half. I mean, they're already scored 92 by halftime. They could have scored over 200 points if they want to against that Bulls team. I mean, it was just a disgrace defensively. And then they would get the rebound. And I think it was at least six or seven possessions in a row. They're just trying to get Clay the record. The game had turned into being about Clay Thompson getting the record. It was like a, like an all-star game or something or like something that was like being played at the park. I mean, it, they're not going to get killed for it, but the Bulls, like, it was just a disgrace. It really was, honestly. Like, it was like the Warriors didn't even have to try. It was like they were just passing the ball around and then going to find Clay Thompson. And Clay Thompson's just like the game became about the record. And obviously, the fans were excited to see the record. But how the hell do you give up 92 points and a half? 
Like that gets lost in this. Like I really feel like the story from last night, <laughs> if Clay doesn't set that record, is that's the second most points it's anybody's ever scored in a half. And that's going to get lost. Like you don't see that being mentioned all that much. But that halftime score being 92 to 50, I mean, come on. <laughs> that's like impossible. They only play 24 minutes. How can you let a team score 92? And I know that when they signed Jabari Parker and gave the contract to Zach Levine, that people expressed, I remember Simmons tweeting out that there's going to be all kinds of records broken because this team is going to be all-time defensively bad. (laughs) How could everybody in the free world see that from a distance? And yet, I suppose Bulls management could not? Well, I mean, they didn't necessarily not see it, though. I mean, with Zach Levine and Jabari Parker and some of the guys on that defense, I think the expectation is you're going to be bad defensively. You know, I'm not, like, defending the Bulls giving up all those points in the half, but it's Clay Thompson had a historic night, dude. That's what happens when a guy has a historic night. Teams go off like that. Yeah, I know, but. Still, they don't yeah, score I know. 92. I know, I know, I know. The Bulls defense is ass, man. This is not a surprise. Hey, if somebody goes the hell off, you score 70. Like, that's a huge number. 92. I mean, this should be like soccer where the Bulls get relegated for that. That's just, I don't know how you look at yourself in the mirror. The Bulls have a bunch of zeros on defense on their team, and they're going against an all time great team. That happens sometimes. <laughs> it, no, it honestly doesn't. In fact, it, it's, it was historic. The point I'm making is that it doesn't happen. It's happened one time in NBA history. Uh, <laughs> it, all-star games don't have 92 at the half. All-star games. Yeah, where there's literally no defense being played <laughs> until the last couple of years when they gave them a little financial incentive that mattered to them. But other than that, all-star games, you can't get to 92 and a half. And they're just running up and down the court throwing alley-oops to each other. I don't even know how you can give up 92. I really don't. I mean, if I didn't see it, I saw it. And go watch watch the 14 threes and tell me how often somebody is within six feet of him. I mean, it's a disgrace. Well, you read the article, Chris. You know how guys. Oh, get, come on! You know I, I, listen, I give Clay. Thom- <laughs> I give Clay Thompson some credit, but I mean, this was a level of defense that is undefined. These are supposed to be professional athletes, for God's sakes. How can that be? I don't get it. I would pay fifty bucks for somebody to give me the audio of Fred Hoiberg's uh, halftime speech. <laughs> what do you even say? All right, I probably just wouldn't say anything. <laughs> Uh, you know what I would do? I'd be like, Eric Bledsoe and just tweet out, I don't want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> what if Fred Hoiberg tweeted that out at half? <laughs> oh, boy. I mean, I don't yeah, want to be here. The, the tough thing is for him is like he is a guy that's probably on the hot seat for the Chicago Bulls. So he could be the next coach. We talked about who should be worried. And yeah, he's I, one of them. Well, I had mentioned Ty Lu. I also thought that the Cavs would be better than some people thought they were going to be. I thought they might be able to surprise people. That could not have been more wrong. But I was right in the sense that Crazy Dan Gilbert thinks they should be good, (laughs) thinks they should be a playoff team. And so Ty Lue gets fired after six games. When you saw the news come across that Ty Lue got fired, what'd you think? Not shocked. Not shocked. You know, it's disappointing it happened so early in the season. It's always weird when this stuff happens like this. It's like if you didn't want Lou as your coach, right? You would think you would have done it during the offseason instead of waiting for an 0-6 start, which suggests that maybe 
ownership's expectations were higher for this team than virtually anybody else's. If you expect it to be better than 0-6 early on, especially with right. Kevin Love being out, too. Just well, it was interesting odd. to see these stories about how part of it was the you know development or playing of the young guys. I guess there was some kind of struggle there. And like, what do you expect, right? He's trying to, he's playing without LeBron. He's trying to win games because he thinks that that's what's got to happen. You know, this is not necessarily a season just about developing for the greater good of the future, but rather an edict to win this year. And so he's got these guys that he's comfortable with, the J.R. Smiths and the Corvers and the Tristans and George Hill and whoever (laughs) else. And so, of course, he's playing these veterans, which isn't good enough to win, clearly. But on the other hand, there's some level of struggle regarding playing and developing the young guys within the context. So it's kind of like sometimes those things can work in concert. Most of the time they don't, right? If you're going to play young guys, you're going to take losses because of it. Now, as the season goes on, they'll develop and you you can win because you've developed them at the beginning. But obviously, this guy couldn't afford to lose six straight games without getting axed, right? So, he, of course, yeah. he's going to go out there with who he's comfortable with. It's just a, it's a crazy situation and obviously questionable leadership. You mentioned the development of the young players. The Cavaliers rookie point guard, Colin Sexton, is a guy who's disappointed me so far this season. And granted, yeah, only six games in. But he was a guy where you would think coming in that his defense would be a plus, but he's pretty much been a zero on that end. And you could say it's a collective effort on the defensive end of the floor. And that's true. But individually, I think he's really struggled with positioning, fighting through screens, all these little things. Um, and, and in a way, it doesn't seem like the intensity was there like it was at Alabama last season as a freshman. And he wasn't a guy I loved in the draft. I had him ranked 16th. So drafting him in the top 10 was a meh decision to me. I understand it. But I think there were better players available, including Shea Gildas Alexander. But with Colin Sexton, I, 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 he still hasn't hit a three at this point either. Rough start. Rough start for the rookie point guard. I'm in love with him. He'll be I fine. I know you are. He probably will be, He'll fine. be fine. He probably he will be fine. But it's a matter of what level Come of on. fine. Will he First be, six will, games will of he, his will, career. Will, no, you're doing this confirmation. No, 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 no fine. Will, yes. he, will he be, will he be, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Or will he be, ooh, he's fine. What kind of fine are we talking here? I'm saying he's going to be fine, and you are doing your confirmation <laughs> after six games. If that's I'm the not. case, let's go I, reread no, your Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter article. Let's do that, if you want to do that. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. I'd love to. <laughs> well, I, I saw Wendell Carter out there. He was part of the 92 points in the half. He also scored 18. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> you can't be, it could not have been a more meaningless 18 points in NBA history. Honestly, I know. the only more meaningless points in NBA history than that were the ones I saw DeAndre Ayton score in Memphis. Uh, oh, come on now. <laughs> 24 just totally meaningless mm. points. Who cares? Sure, Chris. Um, <laughs> hey, Colin Sexton's going to be fine. Don't you dare. Yeah. All right, let me get to the Tyron Lue thing, and I want to ask you about this. Tyron Lue went to three straight finals and won a championship. And yet everyone that's ever tied to LeBron is never necessarily going to get the credit that they deserve as a coach, right? He could have an amazing coach. And the coach is always like nobody ever thinks anybody that coaches LeBron is good. They're already doing it with Luke Walton. I saw people blaming Luke Walton last night. And I was like, oh, for goodness sakes. But it is the, it's the blessing and the curse of coaching LeBron. And yet yesterday, when it was Ty Lue and he's been to three straight finals and he wins a title, 
Do you think there's anybody with that record, with that level of accomplishment that people don't necessarily think highly of in terms of their coaching ability? I'm not sure I understand the question. Okay, I'm saying, can you recall anybody that would have near that kind of record, resume, accomplishment as a coach that people would not immediately like gobble up? Oh, with, with Lou. Yes. Would you put him number one on your coaching candidates list right now? If whoever gets fired, would you say they should hire Ty Lou? No, I would have David Blatt ahead of Ty Lou. Oh, my goodness. I just think, you know, a coach's record isn't necessarily indicative of a coach's ability. And that's that's not a knock or anything against Ty Lou. It's just a general statement. Okay, that's the real question. Why do people not think highly of Ty Lou, in your opinion? I mean, I think it's a couple of things, man. It's A, he had LeBron James on his team. And anytime LeBron James is on your roster, it's really hard to assess the coach because LeBron is such a forceful presence. But I also think it's other things for me, like the lack of creativity with Kevin Love at times. I think they got away from using him in creative situations off ball. They started installing it a little bit towards the end of the last season into the playoffs. But I just think guys like that weren't necessarily maximized when they could have been and should have been in ways that really weren't that difficult. I think some of the lack of the movement off ball, and again, maybe that's a LeBron thing. Because again, anytime you have a LeBron on your team, for better or worse, it's hard to judge those things. Um, Like we're seeing that now with the Lakers, right? I've heard that Luke Walton and LeBron James have a good relationship if they like each other. But then you see a quote last night from LeBron, like, you don't want to be near me when my patience runs out. Well, (laughs) all it takes is for him to get angry for things to change there with the coach-player relationship. It's just hard to judge those guys when they coach LeBron James. I believe Eric Spolstra is the only coach who has a winning record that's coached LeBron when he doesn't have LeBron. Well, and the other thing is, if your fear is, hey, this guy is a creation of LeBron James, right? That that's why we won. And now it's exposure time. Like, let's say that was in the back of your head. Well, there was nothing in those six games. That looked like a a rudderless ship. Right. And you had J.R. Smith popping off already, you know, and obviously being a malcontent about things. And you saw, right, like whether it's controlling the locker room or frankly, the most important thing, which is basketball. And that was a LeBron run team. That's what people thought. And there was nothing that happened early in this season to confirm. It was like, hey, okay, now you don't have LeBron. What kind of offense you running? What kind of defense you running? And they looked pitiful. Absolutely pitiful. And maybe six games isn't long enough to be able to judge. But, I mean, honestly, if it's six games, if it's what? You know, you're going to look up and he's 3-14, and 14, so what does it matter? I suppose you should give more respect to somebody that's been to three finals and won a, uh, won a title for your city as the coach. On the other hand, I don't think he presented much of a case when you saw, like, all right, what are they going to look like without LeBron? And I don't think anybody could argue that they looked like something that could turn into something, right? You've got this new offense and this is the way they're going to play now and all this kind of stuff. It looked like when LeBron was subbed out of the game and how bad they were. You remember, right? Like they would, it would be like, he'd have to play 38 minutes and the, the, just the few minutes that he was off the court, they'd get beat by 12 points. It was embarrassing. So I don't know. He'll probably get a job though. He'll get another gig. This is ultimately the argument for LeBron as MVP. Like, look at this team without him. Yep. Right? Well, just look at And the that argument would be more solidified if the Lakers had more wins so far this year, but they don't. <laughs> and so, guess what they're doing? 
blaming the coach. I told you Luke Walton was going to get stressed out. You guys all in LA got overtaken by the preseason. And by the time the season came around, everybody thought the Lakers were going to win 60 games. And now it's a struggle. Who said, must who said they were going to win 60 games? You said you'd 60. lock in the over. What was it? 54? No. No. Their over under was like 47 and a half. I said 50. 60 games is outrageous. Oh, come on. You guys all love the... Even Bill had been overtaken by it, which I was shocked by. By the over-under podcast, he was talking about how he liked the moves and adding Rondo and adding like all these Rondo, Beasley, Lance, Javal, all the goofies that we talked about before the season ever started. And they took a loss last night. We'll talk about some of the other things that happened last night and the Lakers and other teams and whether or not there are at least three other teams that we thought were going to be playoff teams. And I'm going to ask you, Kevin, if you are worried about what kind of season they're going to have, even though we've only seen them play for a week and a half. We'll do that after these words. Today's mismatch is brought to you by 99designs. 99designs is a global creative platform headquartered in Melbourne, Australia, and makes it easy for designers and clients to work together. From logos to apps to packaging to books, 99designs is the go-to design resource for any budget. There are two ways to work on 99designs. Use the designer search tool to work directly with one designer based on design category or industry specialization, style, skill level, availability, and more. Or you can start a contest, invite the entire community to take a shot at your project, then pick your favorite. The Ringer is using 99designs to design some of the new Ringer store merch. The winning shirt designs look stylish and unique, and we're excited to unveil them coming to you soon. You can check out the new merch designs at 99designs.com slash NBA. And right now you can receive a free $99 upgrade on your first design contest. To get your free upgrade, visit 99designs.com slash NBA and click on the link in the landing page. That's 99, the number 99designs.com slash NBA. 99designs, where creativity meets possibility. Today's mismatch is also brought to you by Microsoft Surface. Thank you, Microsoft Surface, for being a sponsor of the show. Need a device that helps you get stuff done, but is also perfect when you want to catch up on some fun, like streaming live sports or checking on your fantasy team? Check out the latest member of the Microsoft Surface family, the new Surface Pro 6. Just take the keyboard off and use it like a tablet or snap it back in and use it like a laptop. And with 13 and a half hours of battery life and the new 8th generation Intel Core processor, it's everything you love about the Surface Pro, now even more powerful. All right, Kevin, before we get to the teams that might be making fans nervous, let's get to the one that stands above everyone. We have one undefeated team left, and this is by virtue of uh, the Raptors and the Bucks played last night. The Raptors took their first loss, and they were without Kawhi. The Bucks obviously without Giannis, but the Bucks have remained undefeated. You had talked before the beginning of the season, and you wrote a really good article about Coach Budenholzer and what he could be doing with the Bucks. Even after a couple of games, you kind of charted how their shot selection was different. Um, you know, this Bucks team now, they have, when we talk about if we're going to judge early, did they make the right move coaching wise or are we going to judge a coach early? It certainly appears we all thought it was a good hire when they hired Coach Bud, but 
Seven and oh, seven and oh, and they are the only one left standing without a loss. What are you thinking on the Bucks so far? They're looking damn good, man. It's not just the shot distribution on offense either. They're shooting a lot of threes, you know, getting to the rim a lot, not shooting a lot of mid range jumpers on the offensive end of the floor, but defensively, they're forcing quite a lot of mid range jumpers. Uh, they've been really good defensively. So it's not just the offense that's changed. It's the defense as well. Overall, Budenholzer's early impact has been just extraordinary to watch, really. It's surprising how quickly the team has really adapted. Even in last night's game, Chris, right? You, the guy that you would have expected to go off without Giannis in the game was Chris Middleton, but he only scored 14 points on 4 of 11. It was some of the new additions on the team, like Ersan Ilyasova getting 19 points on 12 shots. Overall, like they've gotten contributions from different guys. Like with, with that team, to me, Chris, it's just weird seeing the floor always spaced. Whereas, like in the past couple of years, it feels like it's always just been suffocating, always for Giannis. But now, even John Henson spotting up from three. It's just unusual seeing how quickly that team has changed with a couple important personnel changes, but the coach also just enhancing the existing players in the roster. Well, and you go back to when you're talking about defensively and how many mid-range jumpers they are forcing, that is 100% the Spurs influence, right? And Budenholzer came from there. If you go back for the years of dominance, I remember doing this at one point, looking back and what they were always great at. Obviously, they were a great defensive team year after year after year. And a lot of that could be attributed to, hell, they had Tim Duncan, who's one of the greatest players to ever walk the face of the earth. That being said, they were always great at two things. Guarding the three-point line, teams did not shoot a high percentage against them, and guarding the paint. And that was way bo- that's even way before the game all changed. It was like their defense was ahead of the curve way back when. They were great at guarding the three-point line, and they were great at guarding the paint. And now you look up, and one of the protégés for Greg Popovich, you're seeing that now with that Bucks team. And any defense, for that matter, if you're good at those two things, if you're going to be high in the league at three-point percentage against, and you're going to be high in the league at points in the paint versus, it's impossible not to have a good defense, especially now the way the game is played, you know? Put it this way, Chris. Last season, the Bucks allowed the second fewest amount of mid-range jumpers. In other words, they allowed the 29th most in the league, and you want to rank highly in this. This year, they're allowing the fourth most mid-range jumpers. They're forcing teams into attempting mid-range jumpers. It is just an absolute about face on both offense and defense under Budenholzer compared to the kid Prunty season last year. It's, it's weird. I, I can't imagine there's been very many situations in the past where system has just changed on both ends of the floor so quickly too. Like a lot of teams take time, but these players have adapted quickly and I think they deserve a lot of credit as well for embracing the the changes to the system. Well, and the other thing regarding Budenholzer is he gets this credit because they didn't have major roster overhaul. We don't look and say, well, yeah, now they're second in the league in defense because they added blank, blank, blank. It's, Primarily the same personnel. He's doing it with the same guys they had last year, right? Like in terms of their rotation, there's not a bunch of new guys within the rotation. I mean, Lopez and Ilyasova are important additions in terms of spacing the floor on the offensive end. Last year, they could only play small. They could only space the floor when they went small with Giannis at the four or the five. But now you can play big. And you I can look at those as more space. offensive though, right? Oh, like for sure. Those would, yeah. those would benefit my offense greatly. They do. 
Brooke Lopez has never been some kind of Dikembe Mutombo in there, you know, but of course not. No. Right. But, but overall, I mean, those two particular additions were important. Yeah. And they're top five in both. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I do think we thought at the beginning of the season, wouldn't you say it was it's Celtics and it's Raptors. And then there's probably a little bit of a break. And then you get to 76ers, Bucks, and whoever else you like. I think what at least through seven games has told us is it's not just going to be Celtics Raptors. The Bucks are going to be right there with them. Don't you think? Mm. I mean, I, I think that, I think their rosters are still better overall. No, no, no. I'm saying yeah. you're going to look up at the end and like in terms of the record that I think the Bucks are going to win a boatload of games. Hell, they yeah. got quite the head yeah. start. They're already they already got seven. <laughs> you know, what I mean? they already got seven ready to go. And you look at the and I get it right. And I hope Giannis can play Thursday night because that will be unbelievable. They play at the Celtics, so then we're going to get to see. And that's the top two defensive teams in the league, the Bucks and the Celtics so far. So hopefully Giannis can get there for that one. All right, let me ask you about a couple of these other teams, what we've seen so far. We already kind of covered Cleveland, and they're dead in the water. They can't eat, like Larry Drew's even saying he didn't even know, like he, had, he needs a <laughs> commitment to even coach the, this team. Like, who wants to even be around it anymore? I'm sure Larry Drew does. And, and by the way, Cleveland hosts Atlanta tonight, of all things. They've already gotten their ass kicked on their home court once, and they gave up that Trey Young game. The other team that's at the bottom of the Easter Conference standings, and they've obviously had a lot of problems so far, and they have had a lot of very questionable quotes come out regarding Wall and Beal, are the Wizards. Now, I'm actually going to get to see them in person tonight for the first time this season because they are playing in Memphis. They are 1-5 and so far. They are actually underdogs if you could believe that, to the Grizzlies tonight. What do you think has gone so wrong for Washington to start the season this way? Everything. Absolutely everything. That's easy. That's easy. (laughs) Absolutely everything, Chris. Um, With this team, they've been been in the middle for so long now. I'm honestly surprised that it's happened so quickly for them. Do it, Kevin. Do it. Wait, are you saying that I'm giving you the fluid? No, I don't want to go. Up. I don't want to go to a blow it up tangent. But in terms Do of blow it. It, in terms of blow it up, Chris, are you telling me that you feel confident you'd be able to get a positive return for John Wall with all the money left on his deal? I'm not sure. You know what? I saw the Suns in person the other night, and I thought, you know what? This roster makes no sense. Why not? They need a point guard. I mean, now again, if you're Wizards, would you want a package where you can get a Josh Jackson, a Warren? Obviously, they're in the luxury tax. They got to take back less money, but they've got a bunch of duplication on that Suns roster. I mean, if you're James Jones, would you take a run at John Wall? I I just watched that team the other night and I thought, why not them? Because they you could actually get some really good young players that might turn into something that are just going to be caught in the mix they're they're in betweens what's the what's the ceiling for josh jackson and phoenix what's the ceiling for tj right because that's going to be booker and ayton's team what do you think i'm not the biggest john wall fan to me he's the worst elite point guard does that make any sense <laughs> they, they, well by the way they've also tried it with two other kentucky guys with bledsoe and yeah. brandon knight so <laughs> how about we stop the kentucky <laughs> train <Yeah>. in phoenix <laughs> <laughs> maybe best to avoid that with, with washington it, it's the type of thing chris where it's still early in the season. They're shooting only 31% from three so far. That number should rise over the course of the season, help their offense out. But when I said everything, 
I really mean everything, right? The team is a mess right now on both ends of the floor. Offense lacks the same amount of, I think, chemistry it seems to have in the past. Dwight Howard is not going to solve their issues necessarily either. Uh, Maybe he helps a little bit on the defensive end of the floor, but the team right now just feels like an utter mess, right? When you're relying on some of the guys that they added, like Jeff Green, LeBron Light, apparently. Listen, it is shocking to me that a team that added Jeff Green, Dwight Howard, and Austin Rivers would have issues. That's crazy to me. (laughs) I mean, like, what are we doing here? And I mean, of course, of course, they're going to have problems. They added three guys that have been like, Instant losing. I, actually, Rivers is actually, he's the one I'd want more than the other two. And of course, they've got $16 million tied up in Ian Mahinmi, which is... I like Austin Rivers. I do. I, I like Austin he's Rivers spark, okay. He's a spark plug. Beautiful tribute yes. they gave him the other night. <laughs> I heard the UG from Isaac. Isaac, you it didn't bring a tear to your eye when they... Uh... It brought some puke up to my throat. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're remembering the glory days of Austin Rivers? Uh. Jeff Green and Dwight Howard have, have made every team they've played on worse. And so, and, I, and Dwight, <laughs> Dwight's doing it by proxy. He's not even playing. No, I, was about, I was about to say, Dwight hasn't played yet. Well, and Brad Beal and John Wall just don't like each other. They can't help it anymore. Now they talk publicly about it. Well, and th- so, to be fair, they, they weren't talking about each other, just to make that clear. Yes. They, they were, are always talking about each other. I don't think that's fair to say necessarily. Yes. Everybody that knows that situation, right? Like, and even when they get interviewed about it, it's like, oh, we just have different interests and we just don't, you know, right? Like, this has been for three years now, kind of been going on. And do you remember all that when they hit that run when Wall was out last year and how weird that got with Gortat? And we're just a team now. And you, if you would read Beal's quotes, like, for whatever reason, it just, I don't know, the chemistry's wrong there. Everything is wrong, man. Like everything. Yeah. When I said everything, like, I literally mean that because of the fact that up and down the board, you're talking about offensive struggles from their best player, John Wall, right now. Offensive struggles for him. Defensively, they are just completely disconnected. It's tough to tell watching on TV, but it seems like there's just not a lot of communication. Seems like there's not a lot of passion, like hands down, not seeing guys rotate. They're not getting back in transition. Up and down the board, the team is just not good right now. Everywhere. And that's where it's like, you know, maybe, maybe Dwight Howard helps protect the rim a little bit. Maybe he helps them on the defensive boards. Maybe he gives them a rim runner uh, on the offensive end of the floor, or he could derail things further as well. And when there's another guy who's expecting to touch the ball on the offensive end, when they've already had that statement about, I'm paraphrasing here, but I think it was along the lines of, you know, guys want touches, have to know their role, something like that. Um, I think it was in regards to Otto Porter. And now you have another guy coming in who's expecting to touch the ball. And Otto Porter's also been a zero on offense, too. They pay Otto Porter $26 million. Like, we we had the discussion earlier about third wheels, right? Like, I mean, if I'm paying you $26 million, you can't be shooting 40% from the field giving me 10 points a game. Something's got to give here. I mean, that is a massive financial commitment for a guy that is doing so little so far. So obviously they got to figure out the Porter thing too. All right. So you think, do you think that this is just a horrible first six games or that they are in big trouble? They're in trouble. You do. Yeah, I do. Like I said, it's everything with that team right now and they're, and they'll probably get a little bit better, but they're going to be on that playoff bubble. All right, Kevin, we'll get back to it. First, I want to tell everybody about ZipRecruiter. Today's mismatch is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. 
You know what's not smart? Job sites that overwhelm you with tons of the wrong resumes. But you know what is smart? ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't wait for candidates to find you. ZipRecruiter finds them for you. Its powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply. So you get qualified candidates fast. No more sorting through the wrong resumes. No more waiting for for the right candidates to apply. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the number one rated by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from the hiring sites at Trustpilot with over a thousand reviews. And right now, listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash R-I-N-G-E-R-N-B-A. ZipRecruiter.com slash RingerNBA. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Houston is one and four with a negative 8.6 point differential. OKC one and four with a negative 6.8. And the Lakers are two and five. Do any of those concern you greatly? Thunder, I think, do uh, more than the others because the fact is that they don't have a lot of shooting on that team. And I think the Lakers, despite the fact that they also don't have a ton of shooting, their shooting is better than Oklahoma City's. And they have, you know, despite the fact their defense is an eyesore, the Lakers, their offense has been really good. I think Luke Walton's done a good job of getting quality shots for his players, despite the fact they don't have a ton of uh, high-end shooting. Whereas Oklahoma City, Chris, I mean, we talked about this last week. Besides Abrinas, there's not a lot of, consistently plus shooters on their team besides stars with Paul George, of course. But the role players, there's not a lot there. And then you lack your best defensive player in Andre Robertson. They're starting from the bottom right now. At one and four right now, it's going to be tough in the West. It, it depends on what amount of wins you're going to need to get into the playoffs. You're going to need 46 wins. You're going to need 47 wins. You're going to need 45 wins. It's tough, man. Like Every game in the Western Conference is going to matter, but more so than the other teams you mentioned, Oklahoma City is the one that I would be most worried about if it's in terms of getting into the playoffs. Yeah, and I'll be very fascinated. Houston plays Portland tonight, and I'll be keeping up with that because Baxter Holmes every year for ESPN does this great article about these are games your team is going to lose, and it's a schedule loss game. And one of them is actually tonight. And it's because of the way the schedule falls, your team is more than likely going to lose said game. And it was Portland having to go to Houston tonight. So I'll be very interested. I'll be keeping an eye on that because that is marked as a, quote, schedule loss. The amount of games they've played in the amount of days. Of course, they played Indiana last night. They'll fly to Houston and lose an hour in the process. Turn around, have to play the Rockets who have been off for a couple of days. And so I'll be, um, I'm interested in seeing if that, right? Like, cause this is one of those where it's marked as this is a great opportunity for Houston to win, possibly run Portland clean out of the building. So if they, if they take a loss or that ends up being super tight, I would, I don't know. The Houston defense thing has been real so far. They have not figured out what to do with Carmelo. And I covered Jeff Bezdelic here in Memphis, and he's a defensive genius. And he probably didn't get enough credit for how good their defense was last year. But obviously, he was one of their minuses for this upcoming season after they'd lost Richard Mbamute, Ariza. But they also lost kind of their defensive coordinator with that team. And so the at least instant results have been rather poor. Wouldn't you agree? 
And it wouldn't be the first time this happened. It happened after the 2014-15 season when the Rockets won 56 games, went to the Western Conference Finals, and then they started off 4-7 and seven the following year under Kevin McHale, parted ways, Bickerstaff took over, and then eventually they hired D'Antoni, and that fixed things. Um, they've been great since then. Um, but it wouldn't be the first time that the Rockets went from really, really, really good to, yeah, these guys aren't meeting expectations one bit. And with the James Harden hamstring injury, he may not play in this game either. So it's still tough to give a full assessment of the team when their best player isn't playing. However, that's part of the equation in the playoff race in the Western Conference. And he needs to get back and manage to stay healthy over the course of the year, of course. Yep. And then the other thing that we do need to mention, because it has been a topic so far this season, is the Butler-Towns thing. And the reason this became center stage is because Jimmy Butler took over in the fourth. But Towns had a huge game, too. It's it's games like last night where they beat the Lakers, and they are both simultaneously awesome that you sit there and go, why doesn't this work? You know what I mean? Like, when they are both... When they're both cracking like they were last night, Butler ends up with 32, 6, and 4. Towns gets 25, 16, and 6. And they're able to knock off the Lakers. And it's nights like that when you watch the T-Wolves and you think, well, geez, man, that looks like the team that I wouldn't be wanting to play if they can ever throw it all together. But I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, Tom Thibodeau probably goes back as like, this is great. If you can get this Towns and this Butler simultaneously, it's going to be unbelievable. I guess the issue has been that does not happen all that often, but it did last night. Maybe the issue was Andrew Wiggins. He didn't play in last night's game. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck trying to find return for that. Yeah. I mean, what can you possibly... Yeah. I don't, I, honestly, like, it, what could you possibly it's, it's get? It's not that for what it's worth, because the fact is... <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying the last two Wiggins missed as well, and Towns had some serious struggles. Uh, it, to me, the Carl Towns situation is one of the more disappointing ones in the league because here's a guy before that Butler trade occurred was one of the blossoming great offensive talents in the league, right? And we now at this point, we still only see those flashes because the usage isn't there. Um, the opportunity isn't there. And I hope at some time we do see a return to his second season where he was dropping 25 and 12 and looked like a guy that could maybe someday drop, you know, maybe 30 points per game if the opportunity was there. And with this new situation, it's like this is a wrap it to the, top of the conversation with Clay Thompson, right? Clay is a guy who's able to take on that secondary role and excel and flourish and take his opportunities when they're there and seek those opportunities. Carl Anthony Towns has been a bit more passive um, with opportunities at times, passing on certain shots that he should probably take. And, you know, maybe that maybe he's sacrificing too much, more than he should. But I think a lot of it is you just need to feed that guy with his immense talent. He also needs to figure out how to be the second guy. He can be the first guy on a team that loses a million games, but he's going to have to be the second guy. I think he can be the first guy. He's not an alpha. He's not. He's not an alpha. He's not a give me the damn ball. I'm going to go win this game. I think he can be. No, come on. This is a personality thing. You worked long enough with the personality guy to know this guy's not an alpha. I mean, hell, he, he, he took himself out of the game last week. Could you ever fathom Jimmy Butler taking himself out of a game? No way. But this is the thing. Some of these guys are like that, and I've covered a bunch of them. Pau Gasol, he needed to go play with Kobe Bryant. Chris Bosh, he needed to go play with LeBron and Dwayne Wade. Kevin Love, probably best suited to be your second or third option, right? These are guys that could put up big numbers and did in losing or first-round exit team situations. But their destiny became being able to be amazing 
second fiddles or third fiddles, right? That's when they're going to really win. I don't think you're ever going to win with Carl Towns as your best player. No way. If you get the version of Carl Towns that can theoretically exist, then you can. That and, guy and doesn't he, exist. He, may he not. doesn't exist. He, he doesn't yet, but he could. I mean, we saw no. the flashes in 16, 17, and since of no. what he can be on the offensive end of the floor, a potential 50, 40, 90 guy who can score from every single damn spot on the floor. We know that offensively, that that's there. It's really about the defense and the level that he reaches there. At Kentucky, he's a really good defensive player, bit at too many pump fakes, tried to block too many shots. But that aggression did show his potential as a rim protector with his size and his, you know, at times, his agility in the perimeter. We've seen flashes of it. And he's only 22 years old. Maybe when he's 26, 27, 28, he does figure it out defensively. Or maybe not. It might not happen. You could be right, Chris. But it, I'm just what I'm saying is, is it can with Carl Towns. He was drafted number one for good reason. I'm aware he's an extremely talented and player. By the way, you he's bet- way better offensively than people expected him to be at this point, especially. Your best player has to be a bulldog. History has told us that your best player's got to be a bulldog. He does. That kid ain't a bulldog. He's going to be immensely talented. It reminds me so much of Pow and Bosch and a lot of these guys, big guys, you know, that are not necessarily the guys that they don't have whatever that is that makes you say, give me the damn ball or this shit ain't happening no more. They like, you're missing that. Some guys are built like that. And to blame guys for being built like that, just accept it and then build with that in mind is what I would say. That's why when you added Jimmy Butler last year, you went to the playoffs for the first time in 14 years. Hell, they got a, what's his name? Rose is trying to win six man of the year. He said, I saw yesterday. (laughs) Do you see Derek Rose said that? He said, I'm trying to win six man of the year. Interesting. Tom Thibodeau a couple of weeks ago said Derek Rose, when he's healthy, he's still one of the best players in the league. You buy it? (laughs) 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 you don't buy it Uh, no I don't do you buy it Chris (laughs) I love Derrick Rose I've known him since he was in college he is not one of the best players in the league no there are time I think there's five minute flashes where he can look like it but they're five minute flashes five minute flashes I like that those words sound good together five minute flashes five minute flashes where Derrick Rose if you were watching a game and you would never watch a basketball game in my life you would say my god Jeff Green's on that list too how dare you how dare you well Jeff Green's on that (laughs) list for sure he 100% is he might be the he might be the face of the team it's never five minutes in a row that's two minute flashes. No, and uh, uh, he, <laughs> yes, he has the occasional 35 point game yep. where he just dominates, drains a three, blocks a shot, scores in transition, big dunk, shows up on highlight reels. Jeff Green has five minute flashes. Do you think that's where uh, all this started? Was when that the beginning of the end for the Wizards was when Brad Beal compared him to LeBron James? <laughs> 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 we need an uh, oral history on that quote. <laughs> What was going through his mind? I mean, Kevin Kevin Garnett. Kevin Garnett once said that Jeff Green can be one of the greatest players of all time. So, I mean, Bradley Bale's not alone. Oh, I have seen outrageous things done with Jeff Green in mind. You ain't got to tell me. I lived it, and it was horrendous. Absolutely horrendous. It was going to take the Grizzlies over the top. Going to possibly win the Western Conference because they added that missing piece, and I'm like, oh my God. That was a bad trade. <laughs> after about after about three weeks, you realized 
This ain't the missing piece, my friend. <laughs> that was a bad trade, Chris. Oh, I mean, that's, oh, that still could bite Memphis. It's still, they're still paying for it. Well, yeah. Uh, with that draft pick, top eight protected this year, top six protected next year, and then potentially unprotected in 2021. Dude, I'm not kidding you. There's like eight first-round draft picks still like going around places for Jeff Green, like still throughout the league. He has been part of like all kinds of horrible moves. Over the years, it's bananas. Didn't they, they? They did it with the Clippers too. Yeah, that's how he ended up there. Oh yeah, yeah. Kevin, it is always a pleasure. I wish you would write something nice about me so that I could have an amazing week like Clay Thompson did. Because obviously, whatever the opposite of kiss of death is, you're that. You write yeah. about a guy. I don't know about that. Print it, and the first friggin' night he sets the all-time record for NBA <laughs> three pointers in a game. You're living right, Kev. Hey, man. The universe works in mysterious ways, man. (laughs) Indeed it does. Always a pleasure. We will catch up again next Tuesday. Thanks for listening to The Mismatch. If you dig what you're hearing, go give us a rating and review on iTunes, and we will talk to you next week. Hey!